We're going to look at an important definition out of Scripture today. But the first thing I wanted to do, this is just how my warped sense of humor works. I wanted to offer you ten of my favorite definitions for ordinary words. I'm going to offer you alternate definitions for some of these words. So we'll just put these up on the screen one at a time. You've seen some of these before possibly, but they bear repeating. They're so great. Vegetarian. According to an alternate definition, this is actually a Latin word that means really bad hunter. Isn't that great? Okay. (laughs) Second one. I can say this because it's true of me. Alcohol. Alcohol is a bitter, it's um, according to the definition, a bitter fluid that helps white people dance. Okay. (laughs) It's not racist. It's just the truth because I'm a white person and I know that. All right. Calories. Some of you will appreciate that. Calories are little creatures that live in your closet that sew your clothes tighter together every night. That's what calories are, okay? I think the next one is happiness. Yes, the definition of happiness is this. Rolling over to the warm spot that your laptop created in your bed. The funny part to me is that definition is the same thing for the word loneliness, okay? But just um, think that through, all right? Synonym. That is using a word... Um, that replaces a word that you don't know how to spell. That's what synonym is, okay? What's my next one? Asshole. Oh, yeah, this is a great one. This is a person that asks you for advice and then does the opposite of what you told them to do. That's an asshole, okay? What's, that is a good one. Teacher. This is a person who helps you solve problems that you would never have without them. Okay? Is that not true? My wife's a teacher. That is so true. The next one. Cashew. The sound of a nut sneezing. Cashew. Okay? I know. You have to have one of those in there. All right? Eternity. The definition of that word is the last two minutes of a football game. Watch a football game today and time it, and you'll see that that is oddly true. And my favorite one, lobster. That is a person that's bad at throwing. They're not a good thrower. They're a lobster, okay? That is, oh, if you have to explain it, it's not as good, but I thought that was really funny, all right? Today, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11. It's one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, and it's famous, first of all, because it offers us a great definition, a definition of the word faith that is offered all the time in, in churches. You hear that word all the time. But not only does it offer a great definition, it gets, exci- it gets us excited to live a life of faith. So let me make some statements about faith for us today. The first one is this. Faith is a substance. I want to put Hebrews chapter 11, just verse 1 up here, okay? Now faith is confident in what we hope for and an assurance in what we do not see. If I was to put that, that phrase, oh, now, yeah, sorry, I got distracted. If I was to put that, um, that verse into my own words, I would say this. Faith is just knowing that you know that hope is real and that there's more to this life than what we can see with our eyes. One author put it like this. Life is not just surface appearances. There is a whole world of things beyond what we know with our senses. That's a little more eloquent than my definition, but I actually like my definition better. But whatever works for you, okay? But faith is so great. Faith is that thing inside of you that when you hear sentences like this, you just, something hums inside of you and it calls out to you and says, pay attention to these words because you know that they are true. That's what faith is. But here's why I stated that faith is a substance. Allow me to geek out a little bit on Scripture, okay? Because I know that 
I probably love the Bible more than most people because I study it all the time and I just am so fascinated with it. But the verse we just read says, faith is being certain of what we hope for. That English word certain, it's translated from this super cool Greek word, and I'm going to put it up on the screen for us, hypostasis, okay? In the title it says huyostasis, that's not true. It's hypostasis, okay? Hypostasis means substance, and ooh, it gets even better, okay? Because in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we're told that Jesus is the exact representation of God's person or of God's being. In Greek, that word being is also the word hypostasis. So if you put this all together, what does it mean for us? It means this. Just like Jesus is the substance of God, faith is the substance of hope and things unseen. So when you watch the news every night and you start to believe that this world is all that there is and this world doesn't even look that good, the future looks pretty bleak, and you start to lose hope, where is your hope going to come from? It's going to come not from something outside of you. It's going to come from something inside of you. It's going to come, it's going to be created out of the substance of your own faith. You get that? Your faith is what causes you to have hope when everything seems hopeless. Now I'm preaching here, okay? This is so good. And here's the thing. People always think that faith and belief are the same things. No, belief has to do with your thinking. Faith is an entity. It's a thing. It's a substance. And it's not a substance we have to manufacture for ourselves. Check this out. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. I want to put this on the screen. This is Jesus talking. He says, so watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Now, that's a difficult thing. Even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the disciples reply to the Lord, oh, increase our faith. <laughs> okay, this is so great, okay? Again, I'm going to geek out a little bit here. But in the original language, the phrase, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, Jesus goes on, to say, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this bush, go into the sea, and it will do that. That's what he tells them. Well, that phrase, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, is actually stated in the conditional reality clause. And I'm not going to bore you with rules of grammar, but what it means is when Jesus says to his disciples, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, what he's really saying is this, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which you do, then you could say to this bush, uproot yourself and go into the ocean. That's what he's saying. How cool is that? Here are the disciples. They're feeling totally inadequate about themselves and about their faith level. And Jesus doesn't just come up to him and say, you bunch of losers. You've been hanging around me. What's wrong with you? There is not a speck of faith between the lot of you. He doesn't do that. I don't think he's scolding them at all, as most people believe. He's actually encouraging them. You see, he just told the disciples, hey, I have an assignment for you. I want you to actually forgive people. And that is difficult, as most of you know. That is incredibly difficult. So they reply to Jesus, oh, if you're going to ask us to forgive people, uh, increase our faith, okay? Because we're going to need way more faith in actual, to actually forgive people. And Jesus replies and says, you've already got faith in you, enough to do the job, and even more, just tap into it. 
It's like in the scripture of Luke chapter 17, Jesus is saying to believers all throughout history, even to us, he's saying, how much faith do you have? And we reply, honestly, uh, just a teens. Hardly any, you're probably going to need a magnifying glass to locate it, okay? That's how little faith we have. And he looks at us and says, that'll do. I can work with that, okay? I, that will get the job done. That's enough faith. Even a teensy amount of faith is enough to get the job done. It's enough to launch you into doing impossible-seeming things, miraculous things like forgiving people or drowning shrubbery in the ocean, if that ever seems important to you, okay? That kind of thing. So faith is a substance. We've all got it. We might have it in small amounts, but it's been, we don't have to manufacture it. It's been deposited in our lives by God. Second thing that faith is, if you're taking notes, an engine. Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the faith hall of fame. It's referred um, to as that because of all the remarkable and important things that the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 did. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about people like Gideon, the coward, Rahab, the prostitute, Samson, the womanizer, and David, the murderer. So that doesn't sound like a faith hall of fame at first, does it? It sounds more like a faith hall of shame. But you have to realize something. God changed these people. He transformed their lives and deposited faith in them, a faith that drove them into doing remarkable and courageous things. That's what faith does. It drives us. Faith shapes our choices. It shapes our language, and it shapes our actions so that we can go out and shape the whole world around us. To live in faith is actually to have this ability to imagine a different possibility a different outcome, a different future than the one that's been presented to you. And then it drives you to do the things necessary to make that future become a reality in your life. So you might say this, faith creates your future. And that would be really true. It does. It creates a future. So to live a life devoid of faith is actually really sad because you'll miss out on the things that could have happened in your life if you'd allowed your faith to steer you and drive you into doing those things. You know, we often think of, of two different thoughts, at least I do in my life. I'll you know, be a little vulnerable here. We often have two thoughts that hit our head oftentimes during a week, and I'll put these on the screen. The first one is this. Why me? Have you thought that this week? Some of you have. Something happened to you, and you thought, why me? Why not them? <laughs> why me? And our next thought that comes to me, and this comes to me all the time, is this. Not me. Not me, or else I'm going to be asking why me all the time, okay? You just think, oh, not me. Do you want to do this? No, no, not me. Do you want to participate in this? Not me. I don't do that kind of thing, okay? We think these two things. But faith combines those two statements into this statement. Why not me? Faith ignites us. It gives us gumption. It puts a little tigger in our piglet, as I like to say. It gives us this passion to be involved in things that shape not only our lives, but shape the world and create a new and better future. And that is scary stuff. And faith's okay with fear. Faith does not deny fear in our life. Faith says, I know fear is a reality. I know faith is, I know fear is real. But fear doesn't get to drive and it doesn't get to pick the music. Fear has to sit in the back. I'm going to drive. That's what faith does for us. Third thing is faith is friends with lament. That word lament, we don't use it very often, but it means to cry out in grief and sorrow. And the Bible is full of lament. 
books like Job and Jeremiah and the Psalms and Lamentations, which has lament in its title. They're so raw and real. People are venting. They're crying out to God. They're complaining, and it's all unedited. It's PG-13 stuff. And they're confused. They're frustrated. Oftentimes people are wondering, why has following God made my life more difficult instead of easier? And why is this person who seems to be doing evil all the time, why are they flourishing while my friends who are godly and following Jesus are struggling to get by? And so they let God know about it. They lament. Being in a place of celebration and praise like we were this morning, that's an important part of faith. Have those times where you just celebrate who God is. But it's also important that we lament, that we vent, that we pour out our hearts to God. Sometimes your prayers will be, God, thank you so much. My life is so blessed. That's great. Have those. Sometimes your prayers are this, God, I hurt. Could you please give me something for the pain? Or God, could you please make Mike miserable? He's been a jerk to me for the last two weeks. Nothing catastrophic, just like a root canal or something, okay? And by the way, when you pray that second prayer, which I do every once in a while, to be honest with you, God always says, no, I'm not going to do that. But it's okay because it feels so good to let your pain and frustration have a voice, doesn't it? I like those prayers. I have told you before that I am maybe a little different than most pastors. You probably perceived that already. That's not like newsflash, okay? But I actually like doing funerals more than I like doing weddings. I do. And it's not even close. It's not even close. Now, I don't like it when people die. I'm not morbid, okay? That sucks. That's awful. That's tragic. I'm just talking about the actual ceremony. And it's not that I don't like weddings, okay? Two people professing their eternal love for each other, then we get to eat cake. I mean, what's not to like, okay? That's wonderful. But a memorial service, oh, wow. In a memorial service, you get invited into someone's pain. And that is such a privilege and is such an honor. And you feel so close to the people in a room where a memorial service or a funeral is taking place. You feel so connected to them and so surprised that the presence of God is right there in their midst, healing and hovering and, and actually just hanging out with us in the angst and the anxiety and the difficulty and the awfulness of that moment, you really become family with the people in that room instantaneously. I have done funerals for some of you. Not, not you personally, because if you were here, that would be quite remarkable, actually. I would have done a phenomenal job at that funeral, okay? But I've done them for your friends and family, and I wouldn't change it for the world because I left that place more connected to you and truly family with you than before when I walked in. Um, when we lament, it is not only the most honest thing you can do with your life, it's actually the most honorable, because to lament is to invite God into your anger, your frustration, your hurt, your pain, and it honors Him when you do that. You're so fused, so connected with God in those raw and real and honest moments. You're truly family. To act like everything's always happy, clappy in your life is not only dishonest, it's even worse. It causes you to miss out on really important moments with God in your faith. So please, if right now in this season of your life, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're confused, lament 
don't give God the silent treatment. Let him have it. He can handle our outburst, okay? He's fine with that. Lamenting won't kill your faith. It'll actually fuel it. Because people of great faith, if you study people throughout history that had great faith, they always knew how to laugh from their, the, the bottom of their belly, you know? But they also knew how to cry from their heart because faith involves both, both of those things. And lastly, last statement today, faith is expandable. There are all sorts of expandable things out there. Have you noticed there's expandable briefcases now, expandable luggage, expandable waistbands, expandable waist. Okay, we got all that going on. And those are fine. Expandable things are fine. Faith is definitely one of those. Because like I said before, we have faith in us, but it might start small, but it doesn't have to stay that way because faith stretches, it grows, it's expandable. Several times in Scripture, Jesus looks at his young disciples and says, O ye of little faith. Ouch, right? There's so much Jesus could say to me, O ye of little. I mean, he could fill in the blank with so many words. O ye of little patience while you drive, Jim. O ye of little common sense. O ye of little ability to fix things around your house. O ye of little self-control when cobbler is involved. (laughs) Okay? And all of those would be true. But to have Jesus, I mean, put yourself in the disciples' position here. To have Jesus, the perfect embodiment of God, of all that is good and holy, this rabbi whom you have followed, who you admire, who you look up to, to have him look at you and say, oh, ye of little faith, woo, that would sting a little, right? But when Jesus says this, again, I do not believe he was belittling them. That's not his character. That's not how he rolls, okay? I believe he was saying it as a way to say, you have little faith right now, but that's because you haven't seen anything yet. You see, people like the disciples and us, the reason we have little faith is because we have very little experiences with God. But when you have experience with God, oh, everything changes. When you watch God change a person's life, change their character and direction, when you watch God, when you see God forgive you over and over, when you see God show up in the most nightmarish, hellish times of your life, when you see God pull a person through circumstances that you thought would destroy them, when you see God in the beauty of your relationships or in the beauty of creation, all these experiences, they change you. Your faith expands. Your experiences with God blow air into the balloon that is your faith. You might say it like this. When you see how faithful God is to you and the people around you, your faith gets full. Let me say that again because it's a deep spiritual truth, okay? When you see how faithful God is to you and people around you, your faith will get full, all right? We're going to put a giant comma on this message right now because this is a two-parter and I don't want to rush through it. So I just want you to sit with these truths today, and I'll finish this message next week. But let's pray right now, could we? Thanks so much, God, for the depositing the substance, the hypostasis of faith in us. A faith that lets us know on a cellular deep level that hope is real and life is far more than just what we can see or experience with our senses. And Lord, please rev up the faith in us. Use it as an engine to drive us into activities that help us create a better future, not just for ourselves, but for the world around us. 
And Lord, may we honor you by inviting you into our pain and hurt and frustration. May our laments, Lord, actually be a time where we connect with you on a deeper level, on a family level, Lord. And Lord, please expand our faith. Some of us do have little faith, my, myself included. Wake us up and prod us into experiences where, you, where we can see your faithfulness, Lord, and our faith gets full in return. Thank you so much, God, for that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said?